Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Woo! Hey, I like that. Hey, if you're joining us online, we are so glad that you're with us as well. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, and we are pumped to have you. We, are, uh, we got two more weeks left. We have this week and next week in our Exodus series, and then we are done with the book of Exodus, at least corporately. And so, I don't know if you were excited to be done with the book of Exodus, or it's been a good series. Hopefully it's the latter, but if it's the former, hey, that's okay too. We'll be moving on shortly. Um, but, uh, but hey, before we get started, you guys saw a guy come up here and do announcements. His name's Michael Mason. He is our, uh, our ministry intern, and uh, we are sad, sad, sad that uh, he is going to be moving on without us, but I want to share a little bit, uh, I wanted him to come share a little bit about kind of where he's going, what's happening, that sort of thing. So Michael, I don't know where you went, but come back, oh, there you are, come on up, Michael, give him a round of applause as he comes. So uh, Michael came on staff with us right around February or so, um, and uh, he has been our ministry intern. And a lot of you guys are like, what's a ministry intern? What does he do? Everything we ask him to do is uh, really the job of a ministry intern, and he's done great at it. He actually uh, oftentimes would come from uh, frying up chips at Chipotle in the morning straight over to work uh, with us in your Chipotle chip frying boots. Um, And so, yeah. So we took him to Chipotle for his goodbye lunch, and he was very grateful. No, we did. <laughs> but, uh, but God's been working and moving in a very real way uh, in Michael's life and his wife Molly's uh, life as well. And so I wanted him to, uh, to share. So Michael, take us back. We are in July, almost August. Take us back to, to January and what's been going on in your life, man. Well, like Peter said, in January, uh, Molly and I got married. She's not in here. I would tell her to stand, but she's in the nursery right now. Yep, so she's stand. Hold, she's holding babies, Thank doing you. her job. Great job, Molly. <laughs> so we got married in January, and then um, Molly and I had already been thinking we wanted to move out of the state. We were ready for something else. We felt like God was calling us elsewhere to minister to people somewhere else. Of course, we had done things here, and we had ministered here. We felt like the Lord was leading us elsewhere. If that was maybe Texas or maybe Virginia, we were even thinking about Chicago at one point, but we were just thinking, where does the Lord want us to go? We were um, at our last uh, semester of college. I was going to Fresno Pacific. Molly was going to uh, California Baptist University, and then we were finishing up, and we wanted to leave and go somewhere else. So I applied to Dallas Theological Seminary, and I got accepted there. And then I had an email from someone, um, a church partnered with a seminary, and they said that they were looking for residents yeah. for the position, for the, for the church. So, so real quick, let me pause you there. So Dallas Theological Seminary, also known as DTS, great school, great theology, great seminary. We're really excited for that. But he wants to, what is it that you, you feel like you are being called to? Well, I feel like I'm being called to just minister in a church, and right. I wanted to further my education. Right. To I just want to make sure they all knew that. I know that. I want to make yeah. sure that, yeah. So yeah. anyway, okay, continue. Yeah, You're at DTS. Go. Yeah. So I applied to this residency position in February, and I have an interview. Well, I did the whole application process. Tell me your testimony and your strengths, your weaknesses, all that stuff. And to go through all of that, 
and then I get an interview, and that's like an hour-long thing, and then about a few weeks later, he's like, okay, we're going to get another interview, and I'm like, okay, uh, second interview, here we go, so then I have an inter another interview for that, and then he's like, okay, another interview, but this time, your wife, and I was like, okay, so then they and interviewed Molly. that's good Molly. news specifically for you, because Molly's definitely your better half, and so anytime you get Molly... <laughs> into that equation, your odds go up. So continue. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, continue. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, so then at that point, we're about, I want to say, a month and a half in. Yeah. Um, it's probably end of March, beginning of April now when all of this is going on. And we're thinking, hey, this is probably where the Lord is leading us. Yeah. Um, they're like kind of texting us on the side. We've become kind of like close in contact with them. And I'm thinking, and we're, we're thinking in all in this moment, like these times, like praying a lot about where the Lord is calling us. Yeah. And we were feeling like, hey, the Lord is leading us to go to Texas to come here. So then toward the end of April, I'm expecting a call from him. And I'm like getting super excited. And I'm like, I'm going to get that position. He's going to call me. He's going to be like, hey, you're one of the five. You're coming. And I'm just super kind of hyped about it. And then the day comes, he's like, hey, you have time to call? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So then he calls me, and he's like, so, Michael, we really like you. We think you have a really good personality. <laughs> Girls have said that to me before I was married. Like, hey, we like you. You have a really good personality. And then the but. but yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have five positions open, and you're the sixth person. Yeah. And I was just super broken at that point, just really sad. And he's like, so how do you feel about this now? And I'm like, I'm sad. But <laughs> Terrible. Thanks for to, asking. Trying to you keep my, pot, like, my poise a little bit. Yeah, I'm doing great. And so tell so, us real quick, take a pause. Tell us yeah. real quick why, like what is it about this position specifically that's going, I mean, why is it that you were going after this so hard? What was it going to help you with? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that came with this position. Uh, this church has partnered with Dallas Theological Seminary. They were going to pay for half of my tuition there yeah. and then give me a stipend each and every month basically to pay for housing. Yeah. And it was going to set me set us up really good financially Yeah. Um, because that was something that we were looking at. We're like, well, financially, what can we afford? What can we not afford? And right. different things like that. So there's a lot riding on this exactly. position specifically. Exactly. Okay, so then he told me I'm sixth out of the five I don't have the position. So then he was like, well, next year, if you're still interested, we'd offer you a position. And I was like, okay, well, it's not in writing. It's not in blood, but maybe. <laughs> so at that point, we're just like super bummed. And we're like, Lord, we felt like you were calling us here, but the door just closed. What are we supposed to do now? Is yeah. Texas still something that you want us to do? Or do we need to like go back to the drawing board? So we kind of did that and we just kept praying and asking the Lord where is it that you're actually calling us because sure. we had like put all of our eggs kind of in one basket yeah and everything was just kind of well this is where he's calling us this is what we're doing I know that this is it so we're like okay let's let's refocus here and just go back to like what is the Lord leading us to so we just prayed had long conversations with one another um, and just thinking and seeing well what's the Lord wanting us to do so then Jumping to probably two and a half, three weeks ago now, okay. we're in Michigan because we went to Michigan for a little 
family get together because Molly and I got married in California, but then we weren't able to celebrate with those in Michigan because right. COVID and all that. So, so before, but before this though, you guys, yes. like you said, you were kind of like kicking, knocking on other doors, doing your best to try to figure out what God wanted you to do. And so like you had applied for other jobs, you had a, right. you, had, you were looking at different seminaries, all that stuff. And you guys were just like, God, tell us what you want to do. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so I, I had applied to a job actually in Modesto, went through yeah. a whole process of interviews there, yeah. and then they turned me down there. Yeah. And then um, we were looking. Did they say you had a good personality though? Because that's important. that was along the lines basically okay, of cool. what was yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah good, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now, now I got you're a very in lengthy email. It's like. <laughs> Good stuff here, and then, but no. Oh, there's so, all that stuff. Yeah, okay, exactly. so you're in Michigan. Go ahead. So we're in Michigan, super humid, um, hair's <laughs> going crazy, all that stuff. <laughs> and then Molly and I are talking, and we're like, hey, like, we need to make a decision about what we're doing. We yeah. feel like we're being called to serve the Lord somewhere else. Where is this going to be? So we're like, we needed to make a decision two weeks ago, but hey, let's make a decision now because we need to do this, because we kept talking about other things, and she was like, hey, maybe there's this position in San Diego, and I was like, well, I don't know about that, but let's just keep talking and maybe praying about this, so we prayed and just gave it all to the Lord, and I remember we were staying in our rental house in Michigan, and we were like, I think the Lord is leading us to Texas, and I think this is, this is the decision that we should make. And so we just felt this huge weight was lifted off of our shoulders about this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And so after that, we were just super excited. We told my parents. We told other people that were there about it. And then we go outside. We're talking to some other people. Super humid outside, like I said. And then I get a call from the guy who had initially turned me down. And I'm like, why is he calling me right now? Right. It's like two hours after Molly and I had made this decision. And I'm like... Okay, I guess I'll pick it up. So then I pick it up, and he's like, hey, Michael, you still interested in the position? And I was like, um, yes. So he was like, okay, well, I just, I just got the green light to bring on another resident at the church. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And I was like, and I just kind of told him a brief, like, this is the day, literally two hours ago, that Molly and I made the decision to come to Texas. After all of this confusion, we made that decision. Two hours later, he calls us yeah. and tells us that. Pretty incredible, man. Absolutely incredible. And so, yeah, you can give a round of applause. There's a couple of smattering of clapping there. So that decision was made two and a half weeks ago. When do you yeah. leave? Tomorrow. Tomorrow they leave. And so um, they have been, I've, I've watched and talked with Michael as he's been walking through this, and uh, it hasn't been easy. They've been knocking on doors and doing their best to be obedient to God, and um, I'll tell you what, there were times when he was just like, I don't know, what. maybe we'll just stay here, you know, and, and didn't know where it was that God was leading them, and then, yeah, they came back from Michigan, and he was like, hey, remember when they said no, but I had a good personality? Yeah, they I liked had me a lot. Funny story, I have weekly meetings with Kyle, yeah. And I started feeling terrible for him because he kept asking, hey, what's the update? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. Literally, like yeah, every exactly. single meeting, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I don't, I don't know right now. And yeah. he's like, wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we're, we're incredibly excited. We would invite Molly up here, but Kyle, come on out. I know Kyle's backstage somewhere. At least he's supposed to. Kyle? 
Oh, there you are. Hey. <laughs> um, we are we're going to pray for Michael and we're going to pray for Molly. We are so excited about what God is doing in their lives, the obedience they have to God and just saying yes, regardless of, you know, you didn't even know if you were going to have a job. You didn't know what was going to happen over there. And you just said yes. And God blessed that. And so we want to do our best to bless and send you as you go. So church, would you stand with me right now? Um, and uh, we're going to lay our hands on him. And just as a sign of you guys laying hands on him as well, can you just extend your hand out towards Michael? Um, and we're going we're gonna to lift him up. Heavenly Father, we're... Uh, God, I am, I am so grateful for, for young people who want to proclaim your name. I'm so grateful that uh, oftentimes uh, in, in today's world that we just feel like there are times this just feels hopeless. But then you raise up young people like Michael, like Molly, like other young people in our church as well who, who are actively saying yes to you, who are actively saying yes to ministry, to want your name to be known. And so, God, I pray that, that you would work in a very real and very mighty way through both of them, whether that be ministry that they get paid for or through Molly's work that she'll be doing or whatever it is that, that you would lead them to, Father. I pray that they would be, continue to be obedient to you, that they would even use this story to, to talk about what you have done in their lives. And so, God, as he goes into seminary, I pray that you would not only give him uh, an understanding, a head knowledge for all of the different pieces of church and Bible and history and all of those different things that go along with it, God, but, but you, would, man, you would just increase his heart for your people, increase his heart for those who don't yet know you, increase his heart for you alone, Father. God, that you would use them in a very real way and that beyond all of that, that you would protect his marriage. God, that, uh, that he would remember that his first ministry is to his family and so that you would protect him, protect Molly, um, and that they would push into this new season of life together and that there would be a, a fervor towards serving you, God. So thank you for him. Thank you for his obedience, and God, we pray that you would bless him and bless his wife as they go. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Michael. Give him a round of applause. You can have a seat. All right. Woo. Everybody good? Everybody good? Mom, dad, you guys okay down there? Okay, good. Uh, we loved having Michael on staff. Uh, he was a great reminder to us, even as I said during the prayer, just, man, young people wanting to go and continue to serve the Lord. It, it is rarer and rarer. Um, and to see uh, just their obedience has been uh, a boost to me, and I know a boost to our staff, a boost to Kyle, um, who gave, um, gave Michael oversight in that sort of thing. But one of the things that I wanted to draw from this is that it wasn't necessarily about Michael and Molly doing their best to work harder to prove themselves to God, to be obedient to God or anything like that. Actually, it was when they finally kind of gave up control and they said, hey, God, you do, you do with, with us what you would have us do, that all of a sudden God blessed that obedience. And I'm not saying that happens 100% of the time. You can be obedient to God and you may feel like he's not going to bless you at all. But in this instance specifically, they said yes um, and were obedient to him. And then because of that, blessings came uh, came from them. And part of that is because they just had a direct line to Jesus, right? I mean, a direct line to Jesus. Jesus. There is no veil anymore. That veil has been completely and totally torn. And so it's, it, it, it was a great story for me to open up this morning because we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34. 
And in Exodus chapter 34, we actually have Moses who ends up veiling his face from the glory of God because other people were freaked out about it. Right, so um, think about though for your life, your life for a minute. You can be flipping in your Bibles or clicking open or whatever it'll be. It'll be up on the screen in a minute. Uh, but think about your life for a minute. All of us, if, if you call yourselves Christians, hopefully um, if you ask somebody to define you, like what is it that makes me, me, the hope would be that Jesus would be in there somewhere, right? Like, hey, tell me, tell me a little bit about what you think about me. Hopefully like the, the name Jesus would would come up. But I want you, everybody else, everybody's kind of known for something though, right? So if you came by yourself, just think in your head. If you're online, you can share it in the comments. If you came with somebody else though, just turn to them real quick and say, tell them what it is that if somebody said, oh yeah, they are known for this, and we're not going to say Jesus. We're going to take the Jesus juke out of it, okay, everybody. If they're not going to say Jesus, what is it that they would say? Go ahead and take a second. Share that. Who, who do people say that you are? Go ahead. Murmur, murmur. Permission to talk. So for right now, for this time in, in mine and Sarah's life, um, we are oftentimes, I mean, we are known for being parents of five boys. Okay, that oftentimes, that's just kind of what, what comes up because they're like, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. They don't want to talk about, <laughs> they want to talk to me anymore. So I try to become more relatable. I'm a pastor, but I'm also kind of crazy because I have five boys. And so people end up talking about that and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, you're the pastor with five kids, right? Yep. Um, and so, but I also know I have a friend of mine, Josh. Josh has been in my, my small group for about two years now. And uh, Josh, he's, you know, he's got a great family, wife, kids, all that stuff. Real cute, two real cute daughters. Um, but, if, but if I ask some of you who know Josh what it is that Josh would be known for, most of you would be like, man, is that the guy who's like really, really handy? He should like have his own show, not even on HGTV because that's below him, like Magnolia Network, you know what I'm talking about? Like even better than HGTV. And so he's like, he, like he's known for how handy he is, how crafty he is, how like anything that he puts his hands to, it just comes out like a work of art. It's absolutely uh, incredible. And so it's true that, that whatever it is that, that we spend a lot of our times doing, that's kind of what we get we become known for, right? Josh spends a lot of his time working on his home and improving their house and that sort of thing. And so he's, he's kind of known for that. But think about, think about those things in your life or maybe think about when you were a young parent. Young parents, man, oftentimes, you know what they, they're known for, not just known for, you know what they talk about? Their kids all the time, right? Like it's annoying, like we get it, you got kids. For those of you who have, who have been with me for three years since I've been here, man, you guys have heard about my kids all the time. You're like, Peter, we get it. Stop talking about your kids. I'm like, I'm sorry, they're great fodder for sermon illustrations, right? And so like, like but, but when I was younger, when I was 24 is when we had Cooper, right? I was just a young pup um, and I was so excited to be a dad. And this is when blogs were a big deal. Anybody remember blogs were a big deal before YouTube was a thing? And so I was like, you know what? The world needs another blog. And so I got Mondays off with my son when my wife was still working. And, and so I 
wrote a blog. It was called Monday Mornings with Coop. And so all I did was talk about what I did on Mondays with my son Cooper, right? And everything came in there. Man, if that kid drooled sideways, it was going to be like, oh, it was so cute. Cooper today, he drooled, and it was like a little shape, and he's going to be brilliant because of it, right, or whatever. Right? Like everything. He babbled a word. He recognized a face. There was a poop-tastrophe somewhere, which was a common term that we used uh, in, uh, in my blog as well. And so I just wanted to tell people about it because I was spending time with him. And like that was one of the things that I was, I was known for. I talked about everything we did. We took pictures. I wrote about it so, so I could have a memento of mine and Cooper's time together. And because I wanted to share with other people how awesome it was to be able to be a dad. And so today we get an opportunity to look at what happens then when we really spend our time focusing on what's most important. What is it that we end up talking about? What is it that we become known for, right? Because I said all of you have something that defines you. Maybe it's gardening or working out. I don't like you people, or working on cars, or DIY, or whatever, and you talk about it because you love it, right? So whatever it is that you said, I'm known for this, well, oftentimes you're known for that, unless it's a really embarrassing story. It's because of the fact that you spend your time doing it. It's because you spend your time on it, right? All of us have something that defines you, and those things aren't bad. My hope would be, though, that the thing that would define you most would be the relationship that you have with God. So when other people say, hey, tell me about so-and-so, they're like, yeah, he's, he's pretty cool, but he talks about Jesus a lot. Right? Like that would be my goal. That would be my hope for, for all of us, that you have that same fervency of talking about God that you do with talking about your CrossFit or whatever it is that you do. Because okay? that's, that's even here what Moses does. This is what we see in Exodus chapter 34. Moses does this very thing. He spends time with God, so much time with God that we actually see him begin to change. And he, as he begins to change, he gets to continue to communicate with other people about God. So before we get there to Exodus 34, quick reminder. Okay, Paul, or not Paul, we're going to get to Paul in a second. Moses, he, the last couple of weeks, Moses came down, the Israelites are all crazy. They had baked a golden calf during arts and crafts time and decided to worship it. Okay? And so because of that, Moses comes down off the mountain. He's got the two tablets in God's own handwriting, and he throws those things. He smashes them. His anger burns. He's mad. Okay? And so this original two tablets that he brought down are obliterated. So now Moses is like, well, I should probably go get that law back from God. And so Moses, at this point, he goes back up on top of Mount Sinai for another 40 days. He's got another powwow with, uh, with God. He gets to be with God. He gets to meet with God. We actually talked last week that he actually got to see God as he passed by, but only his backside, right? Because he didn't want to kill Moses with how incredible God was with, with, with his glory. So while Moses is spending 40 days up there, he gets to be with God. He's in his presence so much so that he begins to change. In Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. 
But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. So when I was there, most of you have probably heard this story. If you grew up in church, you definitely heard this story. This is one of the famous stories that takes place, one of the last big stories that takes place in the book of Exodus, because there's this one and then we have next week and then we're done. Right? And I always imagine like in Sunday school, like they were talking about, like they wouldn't say radiant, they'd always say glow. Right? And so in my head, I just imagine Moses' face like a cracked glow stick, like growing kind of green. Right? I don't know if any of you got that same picture in your head, but like every single time I think about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, God's radiance is obviously looks like a glow stick. Right? It just makes sense in our head. But um, usually this story, though, is accompanied with, like, like when pastors preach about this story, it talks about if you spend time with God, people will be able to see the difference in your life. That's usually the way that this sermon goes. And that is true. And I do believe that. And that is part of this message. But an important piece we are going to have to consider is that this is the Old Testament. Okay, this talks about what is called the Old Covenant. Okay, and so the Old Covenant is the Mosaic Law. What's the Mosaic Law? Mosaic Moses, okay, Mosaic law, these tablets that God had given to Moses, these commandments, 10 commandments, and more laws on top of that, that he gives to Moses to give to the Israelite people. That's what this is talking about. We do not live in the Old Testament time. We do not live on the, the backside of the resurrection. We live on this side of the resurrection. We live on this side of Jesus. And so because of that, this has different implications for us. And so we're going to tear into that in just a second. Okay? So Moses, like I said, he goes back up to the mountain to talk about a lot of these things. The, the, the covenant, though. If you are not familiar with, with the Bible, maybe you're not familiar with Old Testament, maybe you're not familiar with what covenants are and that sort of thing. Covenant, it's an agreement, right? It's, a, it, it's, it's an agreement in some way. You can have a covenant with other people. You normally wouldn't call it a covenant. Usually it's a contract. A covenant would probably freak somebody out and make them think that you have to like draw some blood in order to make that covenant stick or whatever. Yeah, but it's an agreement essentially. And this agreement is, is an agreement that takes place between God and Moses and specifically the Israelites. And so God is like, hey, here's your commands. If you follow these commands, I'm going to bless you. Okay, that's, what the, that's what the Mosaic Covenant is. If you follow these commandments, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, the wages of sin is death. Okay? So it's not a very, it's, I mean, it's a hard covenant. And these were, a lot of them are, are, are pretty difficult rules to be able to follow once you get, start looking into, into the book of Leviticus and that sort of thing. Man, this is hard, what they had to do. And this old covenant was put into place simply so people would know that they cannot get to God. It is impossible to live this perfectly. That was the old covenant. It was like, hey, here's all these rules. You're not going to be able to follow them. You're broken and in need of a savior. You're a sinner. You're never going to get to God. You're never going to be good enough. Here's the covenant, right? So, so they were defined by their sin, by how bad they were, over and over and over and over again. Hey, you did not follow up or, or you did not live up to this agreement. And so because of that, you need to go do this. And Leviticus tells you what sort of animal sacrifice they had to make and how they had to walk through the different parts of the body or parts of the, the animal and all of these different laws and rules and all these things. Like you couldn't do it. That's the old covenant. That was the best way to be able to live holy. And then the conclusion of that covenant is you can never be holy. 
That was the old covenant. And we have to understand that. And that's not the only covenant. There's covenants all over the Bible, right? The first covenant was the covenant he made with Adam and Eve. He said, hey, look, you can eat of any single tree in the garden, right? And then he's like, hey, but do me a favor. Don't eat from this tree. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. And like a petulant junior hire, he told them to do one thing, and they were like, I guess, or told them not to do one thing. He's like, hey, I guess that's a good idea. So they went and they did that. Right? So that was the first covenant that we see in Scripture, the covenant that he makes with Adam. He also makes a covenant with Noah. Yeah, you guys remember that covenant? Hey, everybody get onto the ark and grab a couple of each animal, and you guys are going to, the whole earth is going to be flooded. I'm going to kill everybody. But the covenant actually comes at the end of the flood when the, the ark gets parked, and then all of a sudden there's a rainbow in the sky, and God is like, hey, look, we're not going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to wipe your people off the face, all of these people off the face of the earth again. Okay, that was, that was that covenant. And there's the Abrahamic covenant that took, takes place in Genesis where God is like, hey, Abraham, I know you're an old man and I know your wife is barren, but regardless of that, I'm going to bless you and there's going to be a massive nation that, that, that comes from you specifically. And so Abraham's like, great. And so that's the Abrahamic covenant. And now we get to the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses. And as you're reading through the Old Testament, oftentimes we can get stuck there and think to ourselves, hey, look, man, man, this law is hard and people are bad and everybody is sinful and all of that stuff. But the good news is it doesn't stop with this old covenant. Actually, there's a brand new covenant that gets put into place. It's the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is what we call the new covenant. Okay, and that covenant begins when Jesus is nailed to the cross. Okay? And so we're going to see actually here, we're going to flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because Paul did me a favor as he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth that he actually, it's a seminary word, Michael, write it down, it's exegete. Uh, we're gonna, uh, Paul perfectly exegeted this passage for us all the way back in the book of Exodus as he was writing to the church in Corinth. Okay? So a lot of you don't know, or maybe some of you don't know, that all of these books of the Bible, a lot of these books of the Bible after the book of Acts... Man, these are letters, we call them epistles, that different apostles wrote to different places. Oftentimes, these books of the Bible are named after where they were written. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians, this is the second letter written to the church in Corinth, okay? And so this is what he says in chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. It's a little bit lengthy. We're going to go to school here for a little bit, okay? And then after that, we're going to get to how we're going to apply this to our lives. Everybody good? Can we lean in for a second? Okay. Starting with verse 6 in chapter 3. It says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you, bud. Didn't, didn't have to work as hard this week. Okay. Competent as ministers is a new, of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter there, he's talking about the law. Not of the Mosaic covenant, not of the Ten Commandments, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. He's talking here about the Holy Spirit that is sent to us. It says, for the letter kills, the wages of sin is death, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7, now if the ministry that brought death, which was, engra which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, that means it faded, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? It's okay, so saying here, hey, look, that old covenant... Man, that came with glory. God's face, like Moses being in the presence of God, like that was so glorious that it shone on him. Like look how incredible it was. Yeah, it faded. And even this old covenant, man, it only produced death. 
Like that's all that it was able to accomplish was that it produced death. And if that one is glorious, think about this new covenant now that we have. It's even more glorious. This ministry of the Spirit, this ministry of the Holy Spirit is even better. Verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation, the old covenant, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, the new covenant, the gospel? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Verse 11, if that was transitory, if, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, so there's some really deep theological truths in this passage. Really deep, strong theological passage, okay? We do not have time to get into all of it. Even that whole piece of the Lord is spirit, you could spend weeks studying that and not get to the bottom of it because we're like, wait, the Lord is spirit. I thought the Holy Spirit is spirit. How does that whole thing work? Go read up on it. We don't, I don't have time to give it justice this morning. Okay, but what we have here is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He has now contrasted between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, between the letter of the Mosaic Law and the leadership of the Spirit of God. And Paul agrees that the Old Covenant that's characterized by the Ten Commandments, this is good, this is moral, this is God's glory, engraved with the letters on stone, this is glorious. Right? He refers to Moses' encounter uh, with God on Mount Sinai and his practice with talking with God and his tent of meeting and then emerging with the glow of God's glory on his face. But Paul says that however glorious the origins of this, which this is incredibly important. This is the Israelite people. They were in Egypt. They were, man, they, like, they were in captivity. God has delivered them. And now God is like, here is your instructions. This is where you're supposed to go. This old covenant is massively important. Regardless of how important it was, the law didn't bring life to God's people in the same way that the Spirit does. That's what this is saying. And Paul's analogy, man, the, the glory of the law fades. The glory of, of like, like that fades. It passes away while the spirit of God, man, it continues with us every single day of our lives. It lives inside of us. He lives inside of us. And we get to have his guidance and his wisdom. And having these promises, having these expectations of the spirit, man, these things, they should encourage us. Paul even says, hey, we have such a hope that we are very bold. He says that in verse 12. Because of the fact that we have such a hope, because of the fact that we have the spirit of living inside of us, because of the fact that we live in this new covenant and not this old covenant, we don't live by the letter of the law, we live by the spirit, because of that, we're bold. That should be encouraging to us. 
But Moses' ministry in bringing the Old Covenant was absolutely not only incredible, but vitally important. But the era of the Holy Spirit, which is ushered in in the book of Acts, right? That's when the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene. And then this new covenant, like I said, which was ushered in when Jesus was nailed to the cross. These two things, these are even more incredible. Paul's saying, hey, look, that's important. That was great. That's phenomenal. But this is even more important. And because of it, we have a bigger expectation for the future. So as we look at 2 Corinthians then, Okay, we're going to pull apart 2 Corinthians a little bit. We've got to know what's happening inside the church. Why is Paul writing this? What is it that's happening there that Paul feels the need to be able to say like, hey, look, we have a hope. We need to be bold in the midst of that. What is happening? Because if you were to read this letter all the way through, you would find things uh, in this church in Corinth were very bad from Paul's perspective. Very bad. Dismal. And his heart was breaking. This is a church that he had helped set up. And he was a church planter, right? And so as he came and as he set up this church, he did put different people in leadership and he did all of these things that, that were, were necessary. Like, and he, he sent them on their theological path. And regardless of that, man, his, his heart was breaking because this church had lost kind of its spiritual simplicity, it's spiritual purity, which was Christ-centeredness. You know, last year, we, we walked through the entire book of Galatians. Okay? In the book of Galatians, man, the heartbeat of that book was Jesus plus nothing. The simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of Christ-centeredness, this church had lost that. In fact, Paul was so concerned that when he got there, that, man, he was going have to have to rip out all of, all of this sin. He was going to have to clean up the place and that sin would be present a, a, among a bunch of the people who had taken their eyes off Jesus. And not just, like, sins and sins of, of immorality mentions in chapter 12, but, man, heresy is happening. False teachers are having an absolute heyday in this church. And not only that, but there's chaos and there's confusion and everything that can go wrong does go wrong in this church because of the fact that this church has taken their eyes off the most important thing, which was Jesus. That was it. So hear me on this. I'm not going to, you know, blow anybody's mind this morning or anything like that. But the reality is, is when you take your eyes off Jesus, bad things happen. I don't know if you're a note taker. I don't know if you need to write that down. That's a truth that a lot of us remember most of the time. So, hey, when we take our eyes off Jesus, guess what? Bad things usually happen. And it's not because God is necessarily going to condemn us or anything like that, but it's because the minute that we get distracted for other things and make things more important than Jesus, when we lose our focus and lose our priority, then, man, we end up making those bad decisions on our own. And so here Paul is at, at a very hard time in his life, and he's the champion of the New Testament church. This guy set up the majority of New Testament churches, right? I mean, he wrote these letters. He's, he authored more books of, of, of the New Testament than any other, any other author, and he's in the thick of trouble, and it's not even trouble of his own making. And yet in the middle of it, in verse 1, he tells us, he says, hey, we do not lose heart. That's what he says to the church in Corinth, hey, regardless of everything bad going on, regardless of all of the chaos, we do not lose heart. And the question then kind of jumps out at me, how do you not lose heart with this kind of disappointment? We think even to Moses, 
How did he not lose heart with this kind of disappointment? The Israelites, when he came down off of Mount Sinai, when we talked about that two weeks ago, chaos, absolute chaos, worshiping other gods, false teaching, false idols, like all of those things that Moses dealt with, Paul is also dealing with. So how is it that they do not lose hope when this kind of disappointment and discouragement and disaster is going on among the people who they have given their lives to, who Paul has given his life to, who Moses has given his life to. How do they do it? They kept their eyes on Jesus. They kept their eyes on God. In a word, all of Paul's and, and Moses's kind of spiritual integrity, their teaching, all of that stuff had been questioned at some point. And they were downtrodden. And both of them, they had to loyally and faithfully, and, and for both of them, at great cost to their own lives. And they exalted Jesus. They exalted God. I mean, Moses exalted God. Paul exalted Jesus. Thank you for those of you who caught that. But that's what they did. They kept their eyes on Jesus, and that's what sustained both of them. They looked into the face of Jesus. They looked into the face of God, and that's where they saw God revealed. They had a direct line to him, and because of that, they were different. And the good news is the gospel, the new covenant, has allowed every believer to have the same privilege, the spirit, a direct line to God, to look fully into the face of Jesus Christ, look fully into to, to the Spirit and see the revealed glory of God. And I'm not, I'm not talking about having your own private vision, okay? I'm talking about literally just opening the Word of God or praying to Jesus and allowing the Spirit to work in your life. And it's all about Christ, all of it. The entire word of God is all, everything points to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus even said that the Old Testament like, is the scripture that speaks of me. Everything is pointing back to him. And the new covenant, the beauty of the new covenant is that it allowed every believer to have that same privilege that the apostle Paul had, had the same privilege that Moses had, to look fully into the face of the glory of God. And here's the cool thing about the new covenant. Here's a cool thing about the gospel. This covenant is not about you keeping up your end of the deal. It's God promising. And Jesus is the one who guarantees it. Right? How solid is that, is that for a guarantee? That, that, that another group is running around teaching that maybe you can, you can lose your salvation or, or, hey, it doesn't matter who it is that you put your faith into, that all of it's fine, all of it's good. You can get to heaven as long as, as, long as you just put your faith into to something. Who's the guarantor of that covenant? Who's the underwriter? Who's holding that thing firm? And in this, it's Jesus. This new covenant, it is, it is Jesus. And God says, hey, look, I remember your sins no more. He's guaranteeing that covenant. The true gospel message is that if you are saved, then you'll never out-sin the grace of God. You'll never out-sin the grace of God, not through adultery, right? Not through pride, not through greed, or even if you commit the same sin over and over and over again, you're sealed to the day of redemption. 
Now, I'm not saying we should go out and break records for sin or anything like that. Please don't do that. But I am saying it doesn't matter what it is that you've done because the new covenant has covered you. You are merely the beneficiary. You've inherited the moment you said yes to Jesus. You put your faith in him alone as your savior. savior. There's a full, we call it propitiation of your sins. You didn't start this covenant. You don't sustain this covenant. This covenant is a gift, and it's uh, it's unlike any gift you will ever receive. It's the new covenant. It's better than the old one. There will never be anything better. And here's the issue, though. So that's school. Let's talk about what it means for our life. As we live our Christian lives, we always turn our gaze to other things. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's shiny, we're going after it. We always get distracted by it, especially when our Christian walk gets difficult or when our lives get difficult. Like, hey, this is really hard. You know what's going to sustain me right now? Not Jesus. Ice cream. That's a ridiculous example, but still, we seek out those different things. Like, we go back to what is easy in our lives. We go back to what is simple in our lives. Because we take our eyes off Jesus. So how is it that we can maintain our joy? How is it that we can maintain our walk? How is it that we can maintain our gaze on Jesus? You've got to simply invest there. You've got to continue to go back to him. You've got to continue to spend time with him. Because those same things that you talked about, that people know you for, you spend time doing those things. You spend time investing in those things, in those hobbies, whatever it is that you do. And so because of that, as you sit there and you invest in those things, you want to talk about those things. That should be true for our lives in Jesus. All Christians have full access, full access to God's glory revealed in Jesus. And we have to understand this. We have to understand this because we have to live this. Because so often we find ourselves looking back at things that we've done, and man, there are times that we count ourselves not good enough to be able to serve, or not good enough to be able to, to be in a group, or not good enough to whatever it may be, right? The amount of times that I've talked to people who are like, hey, where, where I ask them, and you know, it's a pastor, and you guys all feel guilty anytime I ask that, I'm like, hey, I haven't seen you at church lately, what's going on? Right? Everybody's like, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. Right, but the amount of times that I've talked to people who are like, you know what, my life's just kind of crazy right now, or my life's kind of a mess right now. I gotta get some stuff straight, especially with student ministry. There was just like this guilt that hung on them. They're like they felt like they weren't good enough, or they had, you know, they were they were partaking in some sin or whatever, man. So they just felt guilty oftentimes and like, well, I'm messing up or whatever. And so because of that I'm just I'm not gonna go to church. I'm not gonna I'm not, and so we, we oftentimes kind of find ourselves looking back at these things that we've done or hold on to that sin that we count ourselves maybe not good enough and we count ourselves too guilty and because of that we count ourselves out of serving the one true God. <clears throat> but regardless of what you've done, you've done, and I need you to hear this, and you note takers, get your pen ready. Okay, so regardless of what you've done, we are not defined by our sin we are defined by his sacrifice. Defining yourself by your sin is old covenant. That's old. That's gone. 
Jesus took care of it. We now get to define ourselves by his sacrifice on the other side of the cross. We get to define ourselves by his resurrection. And beyond that, we have to be aware, not, that just, not just that Jesus has, has taken your sin with him onto the cross, but our greatest gift now and our greatest responsibility is to take that information and share it with those people who maybe don't know about it or maybe have misconceptions about it or have maybe been burned by the church at some point in their lives. We have to be aware of that. And church, we get a bad rap. And a lot of times it's deserved. It's, it, but, but we get a bad rap not because of what it is that we believe. Very few people have an issue with who Jesus is. Most people who have an issue with, 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 with Christianity isn't because of Jesus. It's because of the people who represent him. And that's hard. And I think there's some maturing that has to be done on their side. But hear me, we have to do our best to actually represent Jesus in a way that we say we're supposed to in a way that we say that we're going to believe, or in a way that we say that we believe. That's the reality of the situation. The church is God's plan A for the world. There's no backup. Like, we're it. In the same way that Jesus was like, hey, here's 12 smelly fishermen. I'm going to take these guys, and we're going to change the world. God was like, hey, here's the local church. A lot of them kind of stink. But hey, this is my plan for, for making Jesus known in and among the world. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility as those people who believe in Jesus, not to just proclaim Jesus, but actually to live in such a way that people will believe what it is that you say. And that's the hard part. That's the reality of where we are at today. In church, like, like I, Paul, Paul had a ton of encounters with God. Right, and I'm getting to the end here. Paul had, he had a ton of encounters with God. And because of his encounters with God, Paul had confidence to do the things that God asked him to do. Okay, let's back up to Exodus, because that's the series we're in. Moses had a ton of encounters with God. His face was glowing like a green glow stick on Halloween. We talked about that, right? He had a ton of encounters with God, and because of those encounters with God, he had confidence to do what it was that God asked him to do. Can I just suggest for a second that, that maybe that our issue as a church is maybe we just haven't had enough encounters with God, and that's why we don't have the confidence to do what it is that we're supposed to do? And not that we're supposed to sit on our hands and be like, all right, I'm so pumped right now. God, send me a vision. Right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is our responsibility to have those encounters with God. It's our responsibility to spend time with God. It's our responsibility to become passionate about that relationship with God. Because the things that you're passionate about, you talk about. The things that you're passionate about, you have confidence in. The things that you are known for, those hobbies that you're known for, you're confident in those hobbies for the most part. Why? Because you spend time doing them and you're passionate about them. And people know you because of them. That's new covenant. That's the gospel. And the gospel has to be shared. So the question this morning is, then how much time have you dedicated to meeting with him on a regular basis? You personally, you don't got to talk about anybody else. You don't got to talk about how bad culture is. You don't have to talk about how the, everything's going to hell in a handbag. You don't have to talk about any of that stuff. All I want you to talk about is yourself. You don't even have to elbow your spouse this morning. All I want you to think about is how much time you have dedicated to meeting with God. 
Because I can't see online, but in here, I don't see any of your guys' faces glowing. Mine might be, but we got lights on me right now. What have you, how often are you encountering God? This church, what would it look like if, if we spent time with God in such a way that the, the new covenant was a deep part of who we are? That the new covenant was a deep part of what we were known for? My guess is, like Paul said, that we would probably be a little bit more bold. It wouldn't be sports and hobbies that we talked about as our go-to conversation, but it would be about what God was doing in our lives. It wouldn't be about the Olympics, even though the men's water polo team won last night. Let's go. It wouldn't be about that or, or the weather, but what God has been teaching you. Right? It would be about what God has been doing in your life. It would be about the other people that you get an opportunity to serve because Jesus came to serve you first. Like those, would the, those are the conversations that we would have, and we would be bold because we would spend time with Jesus. It wouldn't be difficult to talk about him because Jesus is what we would be passionate about because we are passionate about who we spend time with. Not because we have to, but because we've decided that the new covenant is infinitely better than the old one. That because we're not defined by our sin, but because we're defined by his sacrifice, that Jesus dying on a cross for our sins is infinitely better than us trying to white-knuckle our way to heaven, because it's not possible. It'll never happen. I don't care how strong you are or how nice you are. It's never going to happen. And here's the fun part. That if the world wouldn't understand what they were encountering because that relationship is not of this world and we get the opportunity to be bearers of that news. We get the responsibility to be bearers of that news and the world desperately needs to know about the new covenant more so than the old one. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the new covenant. God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your son, the good news that seems so backwards, the good news that your son was nailed to a cross for us. God, that it was given freely, that we're simply participants in this covenant. God, thank you that we're not defined by what we've done. Because that following us around is, is terrible and it's guilt-ridden. And that's not what you have for us. What you have for us is new life in Christ. We said, hey, look, I don't care about what you've done. Stop doing it and follow me. I offer new life and I offer it freely. Follow me. God, thank you for the new covenant. And if you're here this morning and you've, you haven't said yes to Jesus, or maybe you said Jesus, yes to Jesus a long time ago, and, and you're at a spot right now where you're like, I got I to gotta re-up this thing because I've been living in such a way that I've been living in guilt or I've been living in shame or I've been living and not recognizing who Jesus is, the authority in my life, the guarantor of that contract the guarantor of that covenant, if that's you today with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, just pray along with me. It's between you and God. I don't need to know. But just say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. 
I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on a cross for me, the new covenant, the better covenant. So I wouldn't have to hold on to that sin because you took it all. And see, I would choose to follow you every single day. And that's the hard part. That's where we come in. So God, I pray, like Paul, as he was writing to the church in Corinth, that you would make us bold. I pray that as we choose to follow you, we would be bold in the proclamation of your new covenant, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.